Welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. In every episode, you'll hear stories of our authors of color, how God led them to write their books, and the challenges they had to overcome along the way. Hey everyone, it's Myla Kim here, and I'm delighted to introduce today's episode featuring Sheila Wise Rowe, IVP author of the award-winning book, Healing Racial Trauma, and more recently, Young, Gifted, and Black. As a professional counselor, Sheila has ministered to abuse and trauma survivors in the United States for over 25 years and in Johannesburg, South Africa for a decade. She and her family live in the Boston area, where she is a writer, speaker, and spiritual director. In this conversation, I was so encouraged to hear about the ways Sheila roots her writing in prayer and listening, about her own self-discovery through the writing journey, and her compassionate attention to the process of healing. I hope you enjoy listening in. So let's dive into this inspiring conversation with Sheila Wisebro. Well, welcome, Sheila. I'm excited for us to have this conversation together. But I love to kick off this podcast asking you to share with our listeners about your ethnic background. So what is your ethnic background? What are some key moments in your ethnic journey that stand out to you and were formational to you understanding your own ethnic identity? So I am African-American and I grew up in Boston. My parents had migrated from Virginia to Boston in the mid-50s. And I would say that that really was formational for me, the, their upbringing in the South. They grew up uh, in my, both parents, uh, grew up in farmlands. My mother's side of the family had a really large farm. And so just many trips that we took to Virginia during the summers and just just my grandparents and just their, I would say, work ethic, the sense of community there, and the connections with relatives really formed just my sense of like the importance of community, the importance of family, the importance of Southern food. <laughs> just, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tell so, me more. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, you know, just my grandmother and her her. We'd go to visit her and she'd have fried porgies and macaroni and cheese and collard greens and yams. And and because they were on a farm, there was so much produce. It was always a wonderful time going down there. And yeah, so I, I would say that that kind of shaped me. Like they really had a premium on like education and, and again, just community. I would say that's one. The other one would be my parents. I'm um, having come to the North. They also brought a set of expectations in terms of really a sense of hopefulness that things could be better, that you know the work would be better. There were ways in which they could pour into their children. And, and so that was powerful. My parents were activists. Yeah. So they were part of the Nation of Islam during the Malcolm X era. And so that really shaped kind of how they engaged with the community with politics. They were very active in elections and that kind of thing. And so they were an interesting pair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they eventually did divorce. And so we spent 
a lot of time around, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica and learning. And we had all sorts of opportunities um, and very much rooted in the Black community, like summer camps that were Black focused and leaning towards education, but also was fun as well. So I would say those three things and then becoming a, a believer. And initially it was my, my mother's church, which is a Black Pentecostal church in Boston. And that experience, I would say, also was formational. That's amazing. Wow. It's amazing how all of these different facets and areas of your life kind of shape you into yes. who you are today. And one thing if our listeners don't know is Sheila is a, you've worked 30 years as a therapist. And so can you share even that part of your journey? Where did that come to be? Did you know as a child that you wanted to become a counselor or did that develop later in past years? Definitely later. I actually wanted to be a medical doctor. and Okay. Uh, and so when I entered university, I went to Tufts. I experienced that, you know, the freshman where they, year they clear out people. <laughs> it's like, it's like <laughs> yes. if you don't, you know, if you don't pass. Yeah, if you don't like and, chemistry. <laughs> yeah, and chemistry and whatever, and, you know, and it was just kind of like, uh, no, I don't really like that. So okay, that was a shift for me into, well, what is it that underneath it, wanting to be a doctor was I want to help people. So what does that yeah. look like? And so that led me down the road to looking at psychology and also sociology. And that really formed how I um, began working in, in the field. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, for 30 years, you were a therapist in public schools, residential facilities, prisons, universities. You were even overseas for quite some time, oh, right? Yeah. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Okay. So in all of those experiences, I'm curious, like, how did the combination of those experiences and your childhood, your parents, as you said, how did that form and shape you to write both healing racial trauma and young gifted in black? You know what? So part of it was what's happening right now, but mm. as in the last five years or so, as you're correct, we were in South Africa for 10 years. And I would say that my experiences in South Africa, we spent a little time in France and mostly in the U.S. and just seeing, witnessing from my own family, but also just in general society, the impact that racism has had on people and it came up with certain clients that I was working with, and they weren't just black clients. They were hmm. Asian clients, Latinx clients, mm -hmm. but issues around not just racism, but the trauma that resulted from it. And that was something where I, I just saw that there was that was not really being addressed or really considered. And I don't, I think that I felt that, okay, these experiences that I've had, and I really feel like it was a calling. Yeah. That the Lord really prompting me around, you've had all these experiences and engages with people and even your own personal story and family. I want you to write about this. And so that's wow. what led to me writing. That's amazing. Can you share with us the origin story of healing racial trauma? Like what was happening when you, the book concept came to be that made you think, I think I'm going to write this book? You know what? When I look back, I think about 2014, actually, we were still living in Johannesburg. We had taken a trip to bring our son to school. He was going off to college. And in November of 2014, Tamir Rice was um, shot and killed by a police mm -hmm. officer. And he was carrying a replica toy gun. And mm. that stunned me and really 
shocked me. I wasn't in the U.S. at the time. We weren't there. But it was traumatizing for me. And I was hearing, I was beginning to hear just the rumblings of so many other people talking more and more about how incidents like that were affecting Mm. them. And just this sense of, you know, what is it that I would write about and what would it look like and really praying about that. And we moved back to Boston in 2016. And that was craziness because that was in the middle of the whole election cycle. And that really solidified the need for the book. Yep. And then two years after, because (laughs) you thought it would be fun to write again. We're glad you came back. You (laughs) released Young, Gifted, and Black. Um, And so can you recall a moment when it crystallized that you wanted this to be your next book? So what was that journey from publishing Healing Racial Trauma? Was Young, Gifted, and Black always in the back of your mind? Or did it come long after your first book? It came after, after the first book. And I think that also it's it came at a moment. I was writing it, and then what I was seeing was that there were really public people like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles who were publicly taking a stand. And they were kind of the demographic in terms of the book that the very, like, you know, cutting edge, like really striving and yet having struggles with their mental health unprocessed things and the need for therapy and for these women to stop and say, Mm. I'm not, I'm not doing this at great cost. I had pretty close to finished the uh, first draft of the book when that was popping up as well. And so it really felt that with healing racial trauma, that younger millennial, younger adult black audience, just the push to see more of their story and just I bill it as a love letter to them um, because I think that so much is around their having to strive in performance and how did they hold their entire story, which includes both the struggle, but also joys and successes. And yeah, that's really good. Can you share for our listeners, for those who might not know where the title comes from? Yeah. So Young, Gifted and Black comes from a song that Nina Simone sang in the 60s. It was a an anthem, one of the anthems of the civil rights movement. And it was really a powerful, very affirming message. And so that's where the title comes from. However, I actually had listened to a interview with um, Chaswick Bozeman. And mm-hmm. Chadwick shared about being young, gifted, and Black in the context of, of their having a Black cast with Black actors and actresses for Black Panther and just what they go through in terms of trying to find a place and persevering. And those themes really resonated with what the book is about. And so I would say that song is embedded in both of those things and in the book. That's so good. I want to shift a little bit now to the publishing process. And so did publishing Healing Racial Trauma change your process of writing for Young, Gifted, and Black? What kind of stayed the same? What shifted, if anything, did shift it in terms of how you thought about writing or your approach to it? I think that it's, you know, in terms of the focus, it meant like a deeper dive into more stories. And the first book, Healing Racial Trauma, were, these are people I knew. So mm-hmm. in that way, it was much more easier and comfortable, like hearing the stories and and even sharing my own, you know, it had its moments, but that was easier. 
With Young, Gifted, and Black, it really meant I needed to go beyond that, beyond the people that I know. And so I then had to really look at who, you know, identifying people around the country because Mm -hmm. people are experiencing, particularly Black, younger adults and millennials are experiencing various similar things, but different things, depending on where they're living. If you're in the South, in the Midwest, or in the Northeast. And so that required a lot more different, a different approach. And a lot more work, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I love about your book is it highlights the complexities of identity, right? And, and and that's the tension you're holding of the sorrows, but the joy of being young, gifted, and Black. And it's not just this one or the other that we tend to lean on, but it's all of the nuances of, right, my identity, where I grew up, like how I identify myself now and all of that. And it makes it so real to hear these stories of, okay, it's not just one thing and it's not just one lane that people are in and they, we tend to put them in, but it's actually so much more nuanced than that. Were there parts in both either healing racial trauma or young gifted in black that were difficult for you to write or challenging? I think that for me, one of the challenging things was writing about my father in more detail um, mm-hmm. I do share a little bit in the in healing racial trauma, but in Young, Gifted, and Black, I go into a lot more detail. So that was uh, my father's deceased. So that just kicked up a lot of like memories, and I feel like before he passed away, like there was resolution, but just remembering those things um, that was difficult. And then I would say what was been really amazing uh, was talking to my father's only brother. So his only living relative um, on that side who, because his parents, they died because of a TB epidemic and their younger brother. So it was the two of them throughout the years, like two of them in it together. And they were raised by their maternal grandmother, but grandmother and grandfather. And he just had a wealth of information that I did not have. And partly I did interview him for healing racial trauma But I think because I was really going deep into the kind of the backstory, I found out so much information about my father, which led to even a greater appreciation for him. So that was really enjoyable to connect with my uncle and to to hear those stories. Wow. I mean, as you feel comfortable sharing, what were moments of maybe your your father's story that that were a light bulb moment or shifted the way you even thought about? your own story or your own legacy? Well, one was that, you know, I I knew my father was pretty brilliant. My uncle and father actually, after the Korean War, they had to pay for their way because they weren't, they didn't have access to resources. And that that was the case with a lot of black veterans that they were not, they didn't have access to the GI Bill or or Hmm. any kind of support in terms of their education. So they both got into MIT and actually, so Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and they were there for a year, but they ran out of money. And so they had to leave. I think we did, I did not know that, didn't know it because my parents divorced when I was like separated when I was about 12 ish. So there was so much, so many gaps. And so I realized like how my brother's like some of them are really mathematically inclined. I did not get that gene. So, um, <laughs> yes, me either. <laughs> no, I didn't get it. But also just there was an entrepreneurial aspect of him as well. And so that was mm. just really, really cool to see that part that, yeah, I got that piece that was yeah. passed down to me. 
yeah, so those were really cool to, to discover. That's really cool. I love that it wasn't only you listening and kind of in some ways researching other people's stories, but it was discovering your own and the generations that came before you. And so it, it there's a personal aspect to it as well of here's a story of my father and my children and me in the middle of this, as well as the stories of so many people that you've extended beyond, you know, heal, like you said, healing racial trauma, where you knew a lot of the people. And so that's amazing that the publishing process, even though it's for so many people to read, it's so personal to the author. Yeah. And I don't know if people realize how personal of a journey it is for an author to write a book and the things that you have to go through to put this book out in the world is very vulnerable. <laughs> oh, yeah, very. And you have to make a decision, like how how much truth are you willing to tell? Yeah. And you've got to yeah. be settled in your own mind about that, your process and your journey and the sharing of that information, knowing that some people may feel some kind of way about it, but it doesn't really matter. Because ultimately, if it's supposed to be there and it's supposed to be shared, it's for somebody else. Before we get back to the show, I want to let you know about a book from priest and scholar Esau Macaulay called Lent, The Season of Repentance and Renewal. Every year, the church invites us into a season of repentance and fasting in preparation for Holy Week. But often, we experience the Lenten fast as either a mindless ritual or self-improvement program. And so in his book, Esau introduces the season of Lent, showing us how its prayers and rituals point us not just to our own sinfulness, but also beyond it to our merciful Savior. So stay tuned until the end of the show to hear how you can get a special deal on this book. You're listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Myla Kim. Today, we've been talking with Sheila Wise-Rowe, author of the IVP books, Healing Racial Trauma, and Young, Gifted, and Black. Before we get back to our conversation, let's hear from Sheila's editor, Cindy Bunch, about what caught her eye when she encountered Sheila's writing. So I'm Cindy Bunch. I am the Divisional Vice President for the Editorial Department and the Associate Publisher for the Trade Line. And I had the privilege of working with Sheila Wise-Rowe on uh, both of her books with InterVarsity Press. How I met Sheila is uh, kind of a fun story. We were at the Calvin Festival of Faith and Writing in, I think it would have been 2018. And uh, I actually overheard her talking about her book proposal and how nobody was interested. And she said it was a book on dealing with racial trauma. And I heard those words and I thought, I'm interested. And so I turned around and introduced myself. And we started talking and she gave me the proposal and it was just the book that was needed for the moment that it came out in 2020. So that, I think that's the first time I've gotten a book from eavesdropping, <laughs> but it worked out pretty well. Why I am so glad that I met Sheila that day at Festival of Faith and Writing is that she brings such a needed package kind of, of of gifts and talents to the table. She is a person of wisdom and maturity who has lived in South Africa as well as in several contexts in the U.S. and brings the riches of both the geography that she's experienced and the culture she's experienced 
and then the fact that she's a counselor and brings those abilities with her. She's a great storyteller and she does work in both of her books to go out and get the stories of various readers of various ages and and to try to include other voices that way. But she also does research and brings that to bear in the book. And then she adds a biblical context to what she's writing about. And then I would say the, fin- the final nuance that she, she always includes is to spirituality and spiritual formation as a part of healing. How do we seek God? How do we find spiritual practices that will help us in our healing? And so I just love the package of gifts that she brings to the table in her writing. Sheila, I'm curious to know if there is an overlap in your training as a counselor and your career as a writer. I mean, I imagine it takes a lot of emotional intelligence to know how to navigate people's stories and their emotions. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Because I think that just having, you know, this posture of listening to even what isn't said and helping people to kind of draw out those experiences and flesh them out more. And so being a counselor really helps in that the interviewing process and even in, you know, my own journey of being in therapy and just being a therapist. And so I know it from both sides and to be able to write about that and to write people's stories on my own from a very genuine place. It's definitely been helpful to have that therapy background. That's so good. Yeah. And I love that at the beginning of Young, Gifted, and Black, you emphasize this need for the reader to be gentle and compassionate and caring towards themselves as they kind of consider the way that they live. And so why was that important for you to start the book that way? You know what? I think that generally you can come at this, if you're someone who hasn't really dealt with stuff and you're still in denial, Mm. It can really be like someone like ripping a bandage off. Yeah. You know? And yeah. it can be the shock factor. And there may be ways in which people are reading these chapters and realizing that, wow, you know what? I'm like this person and in ways I didn't realize. Hmm. And what do I do with that? I can either beat myself up and say, oh, I should not be that way. I should be different. Or just this is where I'm at right now. And I can trust that. The Lord's going to meet me right here where I am. Hmm, That's so good. In addition to kind of the structure of of your book, one thing I love is that you include embodied prayer practices at the end of each of your chapters so the readers can engage in that. And I love that. You know, there's something to hold on to at the end of every chapter, something to pray through. So I don't know if off the top of your head or if you have the book next to you or near you. Can you share with our listeners one of your favorite embodied prayer practices and just how they can practice that themselves? I would say that listening prayer is one, and it really is based on this notion that God is constantly speaking in in a variety of ways. And so it's not just about, okay, I'm now going to have a quiet time and then I'm going to pray and I'm going to listen. It is about that, but he's speaking through his word. He's speaking through experiences, conversations with other people. He's speaking when we're watching a movie. He's, you know, and so with that as a backdrop, we can go into listening prayer and in a moment or in an experience and just like, Lord, what are you saying right now? What is it that you're saying to me? So it's less about us talking and, you know, whatever it is, whether it's making a request or complaining or 
lamenting, but what are you saying in the midst of this? I'm bringing whatever this experience is to you, and I'm listening for your response around hmm. that. And so and it's simply just after saying this is what's going on, asking, Lord, what would you... And sometimes what happens is a scripture verse pops up or a memory pops up. And then even if a memory comes up, it's, okay, Lord, what is that? Why? Why is that memory coming up? So just really going along with what's coming up and continuously checking back in, Lord, what's happening? And, and listening prayer can happen just with you in your prayer time, or you could have do it with someone else or mm-hmm. others who are you, you're, kind of, you're listening for and with each other. And th- those can be really powerful times. I feel like a lot of this conversation reminds me of this passage in James 1 of be slow to speak and quick to listen. And it's this discipline of listening. And not only did you literally say listening prayer, but it's the practice of you've listened to all of these people's stories in order to steward it well for this book, right? Or it's listening to, yeah, all the individuals and it's listening to people. And even in the climate that we're in, I think we've lost the art of listening. That's why it's so difficult for us to dialogue and to agree or not even agree, but just to be able to have conversations. And so I know that a lot of our listeners on this podcast are people who want to be writers. And so what is that line of like, you're saying something just to say something and to add it to the noise of the world because everybody is quick to speak nowadays. And I feel like as a published author, there's this brewing and this sitting with content. There's years of listening. Like, how do you navigate that of, am I just saying something to say something? Because that's how people are reacting in this world now. It was be quick to say something versus this patience and this discipline of, I'm trying to steward what God is saying. I'm trying to steward the stories of the people that I may or may not agree with, but it's stories that I'm listening to. What does that look like for you to walk that line and that tension? You know what? It's really essential that it's rooted in prayer and it's not about following trends because you can look at trends and go, okay. I mean, in 2020, we saw a lot of following of trends. Like there were literally people who wrote a book in like a couple of weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. I'm like amazed at. I'm like, wow. Okay. I can't even clean my house in a week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, I don't know how they did that, but okay. More power to them. And so there can be like this over overload of kind of the same messages. But when prayer is involved, like if there's a stirring that's happening and like you're seeing something, and it could be that it's, this is a trend, but what is, is God asking you to speak into that trend or not? And maybe you do have something to contribute because you're coming at this with your own story, your own experience and who you are. And so you are contributing to the conversation. But if it's trying to be something else, or trying to follow a trend or to be like so-and-so, you're not so-and-so, you're you. And so part of prayer is just really essential. Like, is this something that you're wanting me to do? Wow, that's really good. It's almost as if publishing a book is an act of obedience, you oh, know, yeah. versus I'm building my platform or Absolutely. I've got something to say, which I think it's easy to get that twisted sometimes. Or in, uh, in the culture that we live in, that's not necessarily the way we go is God, I want to obey you. I want this to be an act of obedience. As you feel comfortable, can you share some stories that stood out to you in terms of the way people reacted to the book and how it impacted them? Yeah. 
Well, you know what? For both books, I mean, clearly I've had people, they're just like, and these are other authors who've said, you know, I have that book underlined and I keep referencing, keep going back. There are ways in which they've been able to understand themselves better in terms of their responses to racial trauma and whether it's anti-blackness or anti-API or anti-immigration, you know, on Mm. and on and on. All those things continue to rise. And so, you know, the books, so for healing racial trauma, it's continuing to sell because people are still referencing it and going back to it. But more than one person has said that it really has helped them to understand what has been happening to them. They gave language to the things that they've been struggling with in their community, in their homes, at work, even at church, and how that has been really powerful. And this sense of just God's presence with them in the midst of their working that out. And so that I think people really have appreciated because I don't lean heavy, heavy, heavy on activism. Like that absolutely needs to happen. Repair needs to happen. But I do, because the focus is really on healing, I think that many people, and particularly during this hmm. pandemic shutdown, have felt like the struggles, the emotional struggles that they've had and they've managed to medicate, they couldn't do it. You know, you're stuck in your house. And so there was a way in which for many, I got feedback that this book was really helpful in that. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I think especially in light of what's happened the past couple of years, I think activism can feel so outward and, and heavy. And there's always the thing to do, which is all good stuff. But I think there's a a need to pay attention to our soul and what's happening in the in deeper than just signing another petition, posting up another thing, doing the next thing. And I think that's really where you get at this felt need of healing. Like before you're doing all of the busy things that are necessary for us to make change, there's also a healing of the soul that needs to happen and to name the internal things that we might not pay attention to. So yeah, yeah. I think that one of the people, the Shanaika, who I share about in Young, Gifted and Black and that she's this incredible young woman activist And just her journey of just being on and on and on and just how she recognized the fact that she needed to pull back and slow down a bit in order to go back in, um, in order to continue the work. And I think that that's the danger with just activism being on and on and on, that people are burning out and emotionally as well as physically. And so to be able to pace yourselves, because this is a long work, this is, this is a long intense effort and it's going to require a lot of soul care in order Mm -hmm. to keep moving forward and so that's really essential yeah well a lot of our listeners are aspiring writers and even more so they are writers of color and so as a published author could you provide a piece of advice that you'd like to offer them i think mostly it would be to keep reading and writing i would also say to network where you can I started, I was a part of, I am part of the Redbud Writers Guild. That's kind of where I started. And Mm. so it was a safe space for me to submit like essays and to put my baby toe in and it was safe waters and to get feedback. And that led to, because it's it's a large community of women, I was able to submit an essay to an anthology that was included in that. And that was wonderful. And that was a bit of affirmation, like, okay, you're writing you're on track, keep at it. And so absolutely networking where you can and when you can. And just that that support, because we can 
go on. We have a Facebook group and we can go on and ask questions and, and just share. And so that's been wonderful. There's a, a group called Entrusted Women that I'm a part of, and these are a diverse group of women. And that's been great. I mean, you can ask questions, you can share your successes, your struggles. And these are all women of color, um, yeah. Entrusted Women. And so that's been really wonderful. And then lastly, I would just say to continue to just really seek the Lord about what do you need to be writing about? And whether it's nonfiction or fiction, whether it's poetry or whether it's a kid's book, you know, what is it that is in you that the Lord wants you to bring into the light? Because somebody needs it. They need to, to see it. They need to read it. They need to hear it. Something for just authors of color and just the importance of representation and that like our stories are really it's not even just that they're important. They're like essential to just how does one navigate through life here in this country, particularly without knowing like the real stories of everyone around us. Like we can have like this, you know, single story has been said, you know, rather than hearing and seeing people who have had experiences that are so different than us but that really can also inform us. It's always been a challenge when I hear like a white person say, well, you know, like young, gifted and black or healing racial trauma, like they're for people of color. And I have to say, you know what? We have had to locate ourselves in your stories. Yeah. <laughs> We've mm -hmm. had to locate ourselves in your stories. And so, and yet we managed to do that. And whether it's kids books or whether it's adult books, we've done that. And so what we're saying is we're bringing an offering here. And as people of color, and that it's different and it's not familiar to you, but you can also locate yourself in this, one. And then secondly, it also helps in terms of having a better understanding of those you perceive as other, that, you know, what are the ways in which they're not so different than you? And what are the ways in which they are? But it's a good thing and it's all good. And so I would just say as a author, a writer of color, like you're voice is important. Your story is important. It, it matters. And I want to encourage you to get it out there because there's a black, brown, <laughs> mixed, you know, there's a kid who, and an adult who needs to hear your story. Well, thank you so much for being part of the Every Voice Now podcast. Thank you even more for your obedience in writing these two books and even this conversation, just being reminded of listening, the art of listening, the importance of listening. So thank you. Would love having you on our show. And now we want to share with all of you that you can get your own copies of Healing Racial Trauma and Young, Gifted, and Black, along with the other IVP resources mentioned in this episode at ivpress.com. You can use the code EVN40 to get 40% off these books plus free U.S. shipping. That's EVN40 at ivpress.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Sheila, you can find her at SheilaWiseRow.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producers and hosts are Paloma Lee and Helen Lee. If you're enjoying our show, we would welcome your reviews and recommendations. You can also support our efforts financially at everyvoicenow.com. And we'd love to hear from you directly anytime. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at everyvoicenow or visit the site for show notes, transcripts, and more. And join us next time for another inspiring episode.